When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Pugar. Welcome, friends. Corey. You know, hey, I, I want to talk. I w- you always say ladies and gentlemen, and now the welcome friends. It's, it, it is weird sometimes to how, to how to start these podcasts. You know, do you just say hello? Do you say welcome? I, I, I kind of like your ladies. It's like Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights. I don't know what to do with my hands kind of thing. I, I kind of like your ladies and gentlemen thing there. It's a nice open start. Yeah, I don't really know what to do with my opening. So I just kind of take the lead. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I, we want to welcome everybody to our podcast as always. Corey, we're gearing up for not necessarily a summer of a lot of activities. We have Lip for Life for Penn State. Um, but the, the fall is right around the corner coming on, coming in September, right? And there's Penn State football, not just Penn State football, but there's football all around the country, high school, college, NFL football, whatever you want uh, to call that these days. But what let's talk about what we're looking forward to, because I think it's good to have maybe not necessary expectations, but things to look forward to, because college football is awesome. Yeah, when we're going to talk talking some, about the game. We're going to talk some nitty gritty football stuff. We've talked about all these issues and issues all summer. We're going to get into the nitty gritty here. Jared's going to go first with what he's looking forward to seeing in the first segment. I'll have mine in the second segment. We'll kind of break down some real particulars here. So I'm looking forward to, you know, I'm just looking forward to getting into real good football discussions, Jared. Yeah. And I think that's important too. And and obviously I lost my rock, paper, scissors battle uh, with Corey before the game via zoom um, to go first. So I've got to lead off and I'm excited to see the freshmen. I'm excited to see the young guns. I want to see Nick Singleton get some action. I want to see Drew Aller get some action. Um, and I want to see what they can do. I'm, I'm excited. I, I, you know, it'll be fun to, to watch those guys play. And I don't expect Aller to play a lot by any means, but I'm excited to see the young guys play and see what they can do because you don't know until they go out in the field, because the college game is vastly different from high school. And I think one of the other things too, I'm going to keep it offensive here. I'm excited to see Parker Washington as the featured wide receiver gone as Jahan Dotson. Now it's Parker Washington's show, Keandre Lambert-Smith, um, and then you got the tight ends with Theo Johnson and guys like that. And I'm excited to see those guys. We talk at length about the quarterback, blah, 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 blah. We talk about at length about the running game, yada, 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 and offensive line. I'm excited to see the skill guys play. I'm excited to see the tight ends in action, make them a feature, uh, focal point of the, of the passing game, but especially Parker Washington because, you know, he, along with those young guys, I think are going to be the key to the Penn State offense having success this year. So I'm going to follow up and just ask you a question of what are your realistic expectations for Nick Singleton? I think my realistic expectations is he's the second back. He, I think he backs up Kewan Lee. Um, 
I think depending on performance, I mean, you got to go with, with who you got, but Kevon Lee's done nothing to lose that position. Um, but I think for him, you know, just get into that game, get your feet wet. And I think they've got to do that really, really early. Um, because if they don't, I mean, that's only going to hinder his progress. Right. So do you, th- this is where it is intriguing because what about Devin Ford? All right. Devin Ford was an outstanding prospect in his own right coming in. And so let's break this down a couple of ways. Cause I agree with you. Kevon Lee should be the guy, but Devin Ford was a four-star recruit himself. I'm looking it up. He was the number five running back recruit in the country. Are you saying you think Nick Singleton just bypasses Devin Ford as the second back to start the season? Or are you thinking more by the time we get into Big, Pen, Big Ten play in the middle of the season? Well, the Big Ten play starts beginning. Yeah, outside of Purdue. I think it's more so after the non-conference schedule is finished. I think Iowa, they're going to roll with guys that have been there before. Um, and I think, or not Iowa, but um, Purdue. And I think that's fair. Uh, but Devin Ford, I mean, again, we say this all the time. Stars don't matter once you're on campus. Uh, Devin Ford, I think, has had an okay career. By, by no means has he lived up to the expectations and the hype. But um, why? 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 How can we say that? Their offensive line has been right. shit. I mean, shit. So do we know if Devin Ford's any good or not? I mean, that's, that's why I think this is a fascinating question. We think Nick Singleton's going to be great. But do we know if Devin Ford's any good or not, given what they, he's been running behind? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a very fair question because we just don't know. Um, because the offensive line has been bad for years. And, I mean, even when they were good, they had Saquon Barkley. And Saquon Barkley, <laughs> the poor guy hasn't had a good offensive line since his, what, yeah. sophomore year? <laughs> yeah. And, and he, I mean, he's the lowest, I think, rush per yards or yards per carry uh, in the NFL over the last three or four years. Now, obviously, he's dealt with being hurt, and the Giants are just a tire fire of an organization. But – you know, that's an all-world type of college football player. Devin Ford, not Saquon Barkley. But it speaks volumes to how bad that offensive line has been. Um, and, yeah, we don't know Devin Ford. We don't know. Honestly, I don't think we know the the, the ceiling for um, Kevon Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Keziah Holmes, I mean, who's – man, you, t- you want to talk about a guy that I, I thought would have transferred by now. Um, that's a guy that was – he went from a backup number two on the depth chart out of necessity to uh, practice practice squad player uh, or developmental player last year because of just the depth that you get Noah Kane back and you have Devin Ford in the hole uh, in the fold. Um, and then obviously, you know, Kevon Lee as well. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if the offensive line holds up and I have no idea or no faith or confidence in that happening. Uh, nothing over the last few years has given me that, that inspiration to really believe that this is the year every year is the year. And then they get turnstiled um, in big 10 play. Let me, let me tease this a little, cause this is a little bit of what we're going to talk about in the third segment, as we look to what we're looking forward to in college football in general, but Devin Ford has carried the ball 115, 20 times. Look folks, I'm not going to battle and war here with Devin Ford, but I, what I am saying is, in order to appeal to and appease a young player like Nick Singleton, do you just let him bypass a guy who's been around for a couple of years in Devin Ford so that Nick Singleton doesn't transfer? We'll talk more about that in the, in the third segment. Uh, and again, Devin Ford had 14 carries for 61 yards last year. So 
people can say, well, why, you know, why are you saying, well, look, I just, I don't know that we can judge any Penn state running back on that offensive line last year. No. And, and I don't think it's fair to, um, but again, you got to perform and because of the, it's a, it's a chain reaction. The offensive line is bad. John Clifford can't get the ball off. Can't get the ball to the running back. It's just a chain reaction and it sucks, which is where the receivers and the tight ends come in. You know, they, I think they have some solid depth. Um, yeah, they lost Jahan Dotson, and that sucks. Uh, don't get me wrong. Jahan Dotson was one of the best um, college football players to come out of Penn State, uh, one of the best receivers to come out of Penn State in quite some uh, – not quite some time because they've had a great um, – they've got a, had a great train of them, and which is crazy to me because this is the most stable the wide receiver room has been um, as far as coaching has gone in quite some time. Yeah, you know, and and Stubblefield's been there now multiple seasons. Jared Parker was both gone. David Corley was gone. Um, David Corley now works for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is shocking to me. Um, but that's a story for another podcast. Um, but I'm excited to see Parker Washington. I, I liked his game as a freshman. I liked his ability. I liked his ball skills. I think he's just going to fit into that mold really well. And I think you could probably use Devin Ford in the passing game if that's something that he'd be willing to do, because I think he would be uh, well-suited for that as well. He's caught uh, 15 passes in three years. Um, and, and I'm not sure we're going to, we can expect a true freshman and Nick Singleton to come in and be an every down kind of back picking up the blitzes and catching the ball. Those are things I actually talked to Jay one sider about that last week. It, it's tough to come in and learn everything a running back has to do. We're talking about he's going to run the ball, but there are other things. Hey, real quick, as we wrap up this segment, so what's your realistic expectation then for Drew Aller? How many games does he play? Does he throw more than 50, 60 passes? Is this Sean Clifford's show all year? What, what do you really expect to see there? You know, I think he's going to get some time in the non-conference games. I don't think it's going to be against Auburn, but I think, you know, against an Ohio a, a team like that, I think he'll get some time. I think he needs time. And if you can get him into a blowout, again, Sean Clifford is the present, but Aller, it seems, is the future. Now this is if, Sean, if this is if Drew Aller is the backup quarterback. We don't know that yet. Right? Will uh, he we, be? Because I I tip it, I tend to think Christian Veyu is going to be the backup quarterback for yeah. Blue. And and Veyu hasn't done anything to to kind of be against that. And so it'll be interesting to see how that is. But but it, it's a really weird situation because you have to kind of you know tread lightly because you're working on this year, but you're also developing for next year and the years to come as well. And I think that's a fine line that you have to cross as a coach. And they go to Purdue in week one. Then they go to Auburn in week three. What if you're sitting there one and two? Okay, now are you really beholden to Sean Clifford? These are things – we're going to talk a lot more about that later on but uh, as we get closer to the season. But those are some fascinating, fascinating – if they're sitting there at three and oh, then Sean Clifford's your guy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who the backup is. As long as you're winning – somebody posted on one of our comments on, on the website – of, uh, hey, you can cure a lot of these ills by winning. If Sean Clifford's winning, then, hey, you roll with it. Um, if they start losing, that's when they've got some interesting questions. Right. And you know what, Corey? We've talked about enough about my expectations. Let's talk about yours here in the next segment of the We Are Podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network.
welcome back to the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. It's now time, the moment you've all been waiting for. Mason, or uh, I'm sorry, Sean Clifford might not be undefeated midway through the year. Uh, he might, he might be. But you know what? Who's always undefeated, Corey? We are because <laughs> we don't play the game. We get to write about it. We get to tell the stories, how it happened, why it happened. Corey, lay out your expectations for me, nice and clearly for the listeners at home. What I am looking forward to seeing, and I'm going to go to the defensive side of the ball, is just what everything looks like with Manny Diaz and his system. Now, you lost some outstanding players on defense in Jaquan Brisker and Arnold Evocati. You have Joey Porter back, who could be a first, second-round pick. You've got They've recruited well on that side of the ball. I think they're a little thin on the D-line. you got to replace linebackers. So, from a talent standpoint, this is – a big question mark for Penn State's defense. But for as long as I go back covering Penn State, um, I have not liked the philosophy that Penn State plays on defense. You cannot argue with the results, and I'll point that out first and foremost. The results for Penn State's defense traditionally have been very good. But I don't like the bend but don't break philosophy. Philosophy. That's what they played uh, with Tom Bradley. That's what they've played with Brent Pry and some other coordinators in between. Um, and it, it's one of those weird things, Jared. It's third and five, and the, and the DBs are seven yards off the receiver. It, it's just always driven me insane. Why are you giving up all these first downs? Why are you so conservative in the middle of the field? Well, here's why because Penn State is phenomenal and always has been in the red zone. So what I'm looking forward to seeing is Manny Diaz doesn't play that, okay? I've watched some Miami games over the years. They're very aggressive. They like to get up in that man coverage. They like to take a a lot of chances on defense. They like to blitz a lot. They like the man coverage. They're going for turnovers, hence the turnover chain. They're going for... So you see what I'm getting at, Jared? Penn State's defense... And again, I can't argue with with the success, but the whole bend but don't break style is not a style of football I like. I don't think it's inducive to your players getting to showcase their full abilities all the time. And in the spring, you know, some of the players were talking about how they were really really looking forward to Manny Diaz's aggressive style. So my question, and I'll ask this of you, do you think James Franklin is just going to let Manny Diaz come in and play this ultra aggressive style? I think it's got to be a hybrid. I think there's, there's a time to be aggressive and there's a time to be maybe patiently aggressive. And uh, it'll be an interesting dynamic because it's very unique to see a guy, especially at Penn state, because you just don't see this type of thing happen where a guy is a former head coach and he comes in and he's the head and he becomes the defensive coordinator. You don't see that kind of, I don't want to, it's a downgrade, but it's just one of those things that you just don't always see. And at Penn state coaching has always been weird. And, and it's, and I, and what I mean by that is that the guys have always typically stayed up until really, really about a couple of years ago. I mean, you had a lot of consistency for the most part on, on James Franklin's staff. And so, but a lot of them were either lateral or above moves now under, uh, under Joe Paterno um, that never, that very rarely ever happened unless somebody got fired um, or somebody applied, you know, to other Big Ten schools and wrote letters asking for jobs. Um, oh, that, I'm sorry, that was after. But, you know, <laughs> one, one of those things, 
Uh, but I'm excited to see what he's got. I, I mean, you just don't know. And I think you can't let him go against what he's comfortable with, what's made him Manny Diaz, right? You have to let Manny Diaz be Manny Diaz. If that's you would think, aggressive, okay. you, okay. you would think so. But you would, you would I, but the but, defensive side of the football, is that James Franklin's forte? We that sure. is not. And that James Franklin does not want to give up explosive plays. Manny Diaz's defense, when you play an aggressive style and you're in a lot of one-on-one and guys, your, your, your DBs are out on an island, what can happen, Jared? You give up you big get, plays. You get exposed, yeah. Okay, so, and, and Miami did. Miami got exposed. Mm-hmm. I've got some numbers here. You know, uh, Manny did a great job at Miami sometimes. 2021, Penn State forced 21 turnovers. Miami forced 11 last year. 2020, it was the opposite. Penn State forced 10 turnovers. Miami forced 16. 2019, Penn State forced 22 turnovers. Miami forced 20. So that's all with Manny Diaz as a head coach. As a defensive coordinator at Miami from 16 to 18. So in 18, Penn State forced 20 turnovers. Miami, 25. 2017, Penn State forced 25 turnovers. Miami, 31. And in 16, Penn State, 21 turnovers. Miami, 19. So Manny Diaz had really good success as an offensive coordinator. As a defensive, as a defensive coordinator, I'm sorry, but when he became the head coach, their defense wasn't quite as good. Maybe when he wasn't focusing on them all the time, Jared. And so that's what I think is going to be interesting. Is James Franklin didn't let Kirk Sharaka run Kirk Sharaka's offense. He did the blend mm-hmm. last year. I think maybe he let uh, Mike Yersich run the Mike Yersich offense, and Mike Yersich's offense got exposed last year. And so James Franklin, as a head coach, has to learn. How much do I just he, – he trusted Brent Pry. Brent knew far more about defense than James Franklin ever will. He, he, he had known him forever. Are you going to trust an assistant coach fully if things don't necessarily work the way you want them to work? And that's why I think it'll be really interesting if they start giving up. They face Purdue right away. Aiden O'Connell is a terrific quarterback, all right? If they start giving up some 40-yard touchdown passes and man coverage, is James – Franklin going to clench his fist and say, okay, let's go back to the bend, but don't break. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say because this, uh, you mentioned Brent Pry and the relationship that James Franklin has with Brent Pry. Everybody knows they're, they're great friends. They're close. That trust in that relationship is there. It's obviously not the same with Manny Diaz. So how long is that leash? How short is that leash? I think is to be determined and we get, it's a, it's a hot start. It's a crazy start. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they have. Um, I think Manny Diaz can do a great job. You mentioned him as a defensive coordinator. Obviously, as a head coach, you're pulled in a million different ways. And in Miami, it was a complete and utter shit show. Um, and I don't think that was all his fault. I think a, a lot of things there were out of his control. But at the same time, you know, you got to go back to what you're strong at. And that's being a defensive coordinator. And I think that's what's led him to to Happy Valley. And I think that's, you know, that's a good place to start. I think this is a guy, this is probably the most established guy that they've had come in and, and join the staff um in quite some time uh especially in the position that he's in so it'll be interesting to see you know how much rain you know franklin gives him and Mm -hmm. i think that's something to to kind of keep an eye on over the course of the season as well because it's not like penn state has a bunch of stars back on defense and that's where again i just reading the tea leaves looking looking at who's back if manny diaz had a whole bunch of all-america candidates and just elite individual players then sure turn them loose do do whatever be as aggressive as you need to be 
with some guys stepping into some new roles and some new starting roles, Jared, I just I just get the sense that what Manny is going to want to truly do might be hindered at least early on as some of these younger players are getting their feet wet. Yeah, I, and that's something to kind of to be cognizant of as well. And I think you know that's something you really have to pay attention to uh, moving forward. And you know what's going to happen. I'm just going to throw this out because here's some numbers. In Purdue's last game last year against Tennessee, Aiden O'Connell threw for 534 yards. Now, it was against Tennessee, uh, but five touchdowns, three picks. Against Ohio State last year, on the road, Aiden O'Connell threw for 390. 390, completed 76% of his passes, four touchdowns, no interceptions. That's who Penn State plays in week one, is a guy that threw for 390 last year at the horseshoe. So, again... Uh, we're we're going to have to find out a lot about this Penn State defense right off the bat. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that, to, I mean, they go to what? They, they're they on the road. They go to uh, Purdue. They go to Auburn. That's that's not an easy start to a season uh, by any means. And you know what? And we're going to see what Penn State's made of. But I think, you know, let, this, let the young guys go. And, and you've got to see what they've got. And I think we're going to learn a lot about Penn State. In, in those first few weeks of the season and really a, a lot of what um, James Franklin's goals and MOs are, you know, uh, ahead of co- big 10 conference play, because, you know, you have to start that. You have to start with the win. You oh, know, wait, they- uh, what Purdue threw for five thirty six against Michigan state last year. Good Lord. You'd think you're you allowed throw- to, you, you are you allowed you could- to pass against yeah, Michigan state? Throw the ball against Michigan. I thought they, I thought they just had to run all day on him. Like Penn state did for God's sake. <laughs> you, men- you mentioned the, the, whoever made the game plan and ran the offense that blend, whoever made the game plan for Michigan state last year did not throw the football <laughs> um, against a defensive uh, secondary. That was atrocious and running the ball. Um, you know, probably should just throw that game plan out and, yeah. Yeah. But again, you know what? That it is what it is. But Corey, you know, that's the beauty of that game was the snow and, and everything about it I thought was really cool. And that's what makes college football so great. So when we come back from this quick break, we're gonna be back talking about college football landscape as a whole on the We Are Podcast and the Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He's Corey. I'm Jerry. We gave you our expectations about Penn State this year. He went defensive. I went offensive. Um, Corey, what do you expect out of college football, number one? What do you like about college football um, as a whole from the sports perspective? Well, it's interesting because we've talked all this offseason, Jared, about NIL and transfer portal and all these kinds of things. And I teased this in the first segment when, when we were discussing, you know, Drew Aller, Nick Singleton. Okay, so let's just say Kevon Lee's the starting running back, all right? And say you want to go Devin Ford as the backup running back. Can you? Can you keep Nick Singleton on the bench for too long? What if Nick Singleton says – I'm not playing as much as I want to. I'm outie. Mm-hmm. Drew Aller. Say you lose to Purdue, beat Auburn, lose to Michigan, 
whatever. How long can you stick with Drew with with Sean Clifford? And if if Drew Aller is sitting there not playing, if he's third string behind uh, Christian Bayou, does Drew Aller get what he wants out of his first year? Though that is what I am really probably most interested in seeing in college football over the next few years is what is this dynamic going to be? How much pressure is going to be on coaches to play some of these young guys to keep them happy? I asked Mike Yersich about this the other day. He said, well, our goal is to win games. And I, I, I stopped him and said, well, is your goal to win games this Saturday or to win games in two or three or four years? Because, and I think we might have touched on this last week, Jared. For Penn State, the best option to win games in 2022 is to start Sean Clifford in every game. Even if you're three and three, four and four, whatever, Sean Clifford is still going to give you a best, your best chance to win a game. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. But if you start Sean Clifford when you're three and three, are you sending the message to Drew Aller that we're not going to get you the experience you want? That's to me something that I think college football coaches are really going to face a lot of pressure with. The old adage is that you coach the players in practice and you coach the game in the game. Now you've got to focus on coaching the players in the game because you listen, if you bring a five-star and he's not happy, you got to figure that out. You got to, now you've got the emotional aspect and, and you've got to worry about that. And, and I was talking to a couple of division one coaches today about the portal uh, for a story that I'm going to be working on here in the next few weeks. And the portal was a, is a blessing and a curse for a lot of people because you know, it, it's, it, it's the, everybody is a winner kind of thing is if I'm not happy, I can go somewhere else. Well, <laughs> um, you have to make these guys happy because you want them there for a reason. Right. And now, you know, you is, is if you're, uh, if it's third and five and Nick Singleton has, 20 carries and he's got maybe 55 yards and he's just not had a good game. And you know that your bell cow and your guys keep on leave, but you want to get singleton touches and you want to get them reps. Is that, are you going to go with singleton? Are you going to go with what would make him happy? Or are you going to go with what's going to make Kevon Lee happy and, or what's best for the team? So are you going to put that player above the team or are you going to make that team above the player? As and in the history, be? in the history of sports, what you just said is nonsense. Because you go with the guy that can best help you win the game. But in the modern era and future of college football, what you just said is absolutely true. Because if you don't keep that guy happy, then you've hurt yourself for the long haul. And that's – I don't you hate it? I hate this crap that we're talking about, okay? I think all fans hate all this that we're talking about, okay? But the scenario you just pointed out, if you don't give – Nick Singleton, that ball. And again, we're using the Penn State players as examples because they're the guys we, we have. But if you don't give Nick Singleton that ball on, on third and five, fourth and five, is he going to get offended by it and want to leave? Right. And I think, I mean, you have, and that's what sucks. You have to be cognizant of it um, in games, right? Maybe in fourth and five, you know, instead of giving the ball to Trace McSorley, he gives it to his regular running back. Or maybe he was just trying to keep Trace McSorley happy. I don't really know what happened there. Um, but you know, one of those situations, you just got to kind of play it by ear. And that's the thing that's kind of, you know, is unfortunate about the portal. Cause I think the portal was a good idea in theory. I think the execution of it is just absolute dog poop. But Jared, you're a coach. Okay. And again, let's ba- let's get this back down to most basic level. You coach kids. You and I both coach youth. I mm-hmm. have to put, I have to put a kid who's a better pitcher or, or something in a game in a youth baseball game. You're coaching high school or high school baseball, high school football. You've got to make decisions, but tough decisions between mm-hmm. maybe two kids that both deserve it, but one is just better 
or one is better in a situation. The, the, look, we can all sit in armchair quarterback all the time, but when you do that, Jared, and, and you're talking about human beings, these are not just numbers that are 30 yards away from you because you're up in the stands at Beaver. These are human beings. You know mm-hmm. these kids. If you as a coach, you have to go up to the mound and you got to put one pitcher in over another, it, it, it can kind of break your heart for the other kid who's not getting his opportunity. Yeah, I mean, feelings are going to be hurt uh, no matter what happens. And I think that's like the beauty and the the downfall, of, not necessarily the downfall, but the downside of sports. You know, somebody is – you can't make everybody happy. There's – you can only play five guys on a basketball court. You can only play 11 guys in the field at one time legally uh, in, in football. You can only play nine or ten guys in a game in baseball. So, you know, the rest of your roster isn't always going to be happy and the parents aren't going to be happy. And, you know, now these players are going to be making real money and they're going to be making money off their names. So you got to you got to balance their egos. You got to balance that. And, and kids today are are much different than, say, maybe they were when you were a kid or when I was a kid. You know, now when I was a kid, you had to earn your playing time. Every sport, Little League, football, anything you had to earn your time. Now we have the must play rules already. It's a trophy. And, you know, say what you want about that. And it's, I think that's both a blessing and a curse. I don't think it really teaches much to an extent. It, it makes coaches a lot harder. I'd, I'd much rather not have to play everybody. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's the way that it is. Everybody's used to playing. Everybody's used to being coddled to uh, and talked to like that. And I think that's, you know, something you have to be cognizant of too. But this isn't just a Penn State problem. This is a, this is a, uh, a an issue around the country. You know, you have to, again, we talked about it at length. You have to re-recruit everybody. You have to talk to your roster. You have to keep these guys uh, happy. And that's not an easy thing to do when you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-old kids. That's right. Um, and, Penn, State you know, goes, Penn State goes to Auburn in week three. I'm looking forward to it. I did go to Alabama in 2010, and I always remember this. So just go, you know what Alabama had on their roster as running backs in 2010? Oh, Mark man. Ingram, Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy. You know what? None of them did transfer. Yeah, that right. that no, there was no portal at the time. But will we ever see something like that again? I mean, look, those kids went to Alabama. They wanted to compete, and they were all superstars. But they waited their turn. Could you could you have a situation now with Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, and Eddie Eddie Lacy without one of those guys not feeling like he or feeling like he's not getting his playing time and he would transfer? That's that's really where things have changed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't think that's possible anymore. You would, you would hope that it would, um, because I think, you know, again, the issue now is not only are you committing to a school, I mean, a lot of people just commit to a coach now. And is that coach going to be there in two or three years? You know, that's the thing. But, Corey, let's, let's get to our expectations about college football as a whole, because college football is, I think, you know, college sports in general are my favorite. This is my favorite time of year because you got the College World Series in Omaha. And I love it. The metal ping of the bats. It is an awesome time to be a baseball fan. But college football is is a lot of pomp and circumstance. And I know you and I are in a, in a cool in a weird boat because we don't get to see a lot of college football during the season. We get to stay up and watch Pac-12 after dark, um, it, which is a lot of fun. But we get to see the, a lot of those West Coast games because Penn State's typically playing at three o'clock or seven o'clock or eight o'clock or. or God knows how late they end up being there. So what are your expectations for college football as a whole? I think we are going to continue to see the haves versus the have nots. 
I don't really see a change in this. It's the Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State. I, I would like to see uh, some traditional powers be good. Uh, the Texases, Nebraska, Florida State. I, I am of the opinion that and, – and look, Penn State falls in there as well. Um, I'm of the opinion that when your traditional powers are good, it is just better for the sport. I hate to see what's happened in Nebraska. I don't think Nebraska is ever going to get it back, to be perfectly honest. I think the sport has just changed too much. But college football is better, Jared, when Penn State is good. College football, to me, is better when Texas is good. Now, maybe Penn State fans don't agree about that with Texas, but Texas fans might not agree about that with Penn State. I think college football is better when Florida State is good. Florida. So I, I, I hope that we can start to see uh, some of these teams that have been traditional powers that may have had some, some rough patches get back to a really high level. I'm excited for rivalries. I love rivalries. I think those are the best things in, in college sports. I've been fortunate enough to see Penn State, Ohio State, Penn State, and, and Penn State, Penn State's Michigan. Unri- and, Penn State's unrivaled, Jerry. Yeah, Penn State, yeah, right? <laughs> um, oh, God, Corey, now you just frustrated that. me. I hate that and, word. It is so, it is and, so arrogant that Penn State does that. We have zero rivals. We, every game is zero. It was one and no mentality. But yeah. I'm excited about the backyard brawl. I love that rivalry. I love Pat White, Pat McAfee, even Owen Schmidt. Um, you know, you going? I, I would love to. I think I'm going to try to go. It's and, September first. It's, it's the same day as Penn State's opener at Purdue. So we're getting into pit stuff here. Yeah, but it's the but, same day as Penn State's opener at Purdue. Stuff like that is is super cool to me. Um, everything like that, I think, is awesome. But you know, again, the rivalries, the Smurf turf at Boise State. I'm just excited for the the traditions and the and that sort of thing uh, to be back at, uh, at the college level. Yeah. I'm excited to turn on my TV and hear what lies urban Meyer is telling. <laughs> oh, Corey, I'm just that's kidding. a great place to end on this podcast <laughs> before we get stuck with our hands in a cookie basket. Um, you know, I was in Columbus last week and, and one of the situations, I almost tried to try to go to his restaurant, but I heard, you know, the finger foods were to die for there. Um, but, but enough of this dad jokes and the, and the bad jokes. For Corey Geiger, this has been Jared Pruger on the We Are Podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll catch you again next week uh, on the show.